0: Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Informal Podcast. We've got a pod special for you. He's back, ladies and gentlemen. Austin Coley, he's back with us. How you doing, buddy?
1: I'm doing good, Sam. It feels really good to be back with you talking and, um, you know, just talking about sports. I, I think the last time that I was on a podcast with you was maybe a March Madness pod. That I mean, so... That was March or early April, so it's been about two months. Um, so it feels really good to be back. I, I've been listening to you and Aaron Lewis's baseball pods, which are, which have just been awesome. Um, so if you haven't listened to those, go back and do that now. They have great takes on baseball, except for their real lack to recognize the Pirates as the powerhouse of the MLB. But hey, underwater. I've tried to
0: have I've tried to sprinkle in some Pirates love here and there. You know.
1: Yeah, I, I, and it's very much appreciated. So, real quick, before we get started, um, I know you guys are releasing a pod on week two for you all on sort of recapping the MLB. Um, you know, are there any points uh, that you guys hit on that,
0: that I could maybe, I don't know, add anything to? That pod should be up by the time everybody's listening to this. But one thing that we didn't talk about that I think you might have some unique perspective on is the Anthony Rizzo play from yesterday where he maliciously took out the Pittsburgh Pirates catcher, getting the Cubs two extra runs on a play at the plate. Did you see that play? What do you think about that play? Are you ready to fight everyone in Chicago? Absolutely. It wasn't cool. Uh,
1: Anthony Rizzo, apparently great dude, also apparently a very malicious slider. It, it, it wasn't cool. It wasn't a cool slider, Is It wasn't a cool slide.
0: When I saw that play, you know, my first thought was, like everybody else, I think, that, I mean, he definitely went out of the baseline, but he could still reach home plate. You know, the old rules: as long as you could reach the bag, it's clean. Um, Apparently, I was wrong. Apparently, I don't know the rules of baseball. Apparently, it was not a clean play. So, I didn't get to see the game today. I don't know if there was beanball action happening or not, but um, everybody else will know by the time this podcast posts. So, we'll seem, you know, hopelessly outdated like usual. But that's basically all I had, unless you had anything you need to get off your chest. Oh, man, let
1: me think. Um, yeah, Rizzo slide, not cool. Diaz is awesome. He caught me in while he was rehabbing when I was in high A. He's an incredible defensive catcher. Um, so anytime you put somebody at risk like that, um, that's just some sticky stuff. Uh, how about, okay, I got two things. Russell Martin playing shortstop. Um, yeah. Which I didn't see any highlights of how it went, but just the fact that Russell Martin, the catcher, was playing short stuff was bizarre to me. Um, and then second of all was the whole Bauer, Trevor Bauer-Garrett Cole matchup on Sunday, I believe, Right. where um, I don't know if you've been following Bauer at all on social media, but he basically, for people who don't know, went on and – Said, accused all of the Astros pitchers of using a foreign substance. He was basically talking about Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander and how when they went to the Astros from the Tigers and from the Pirates, their spin rate RPMs went up approximately two to three hundred, um, which you cannot do, or we. Baseball has not found a way to do that naturally. There's nothing you can do, no strengthening, no grip, no. um, But they have found that a foreign substance does factor into an increase in spin rate. So Bauer basically, you know, called him out on it. He didn't say that, but he was just sort of like beating around the bush, pretty much insinuating it. And then Bregman tweeted at him. I think Bregman and Bauer work out together, so I think they're friends, but Bregman tweeted at him and said, like, hey, man, those World Series balls spin a little differently or something, just, like, <laughs> totally going at him. And um, and then you got the whole thing from, you know, Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer went to college together at UCLA, and I mean, I wasn't there, I don't know, but, you know, rumor is they just don't like each other very much. Apparently, Garrett questioned his work ethic when he was at UCLA. Not his work ethic, but like the Bowers does some very unconventional things. And so.
0: Well, it cost know. him when he was up with the Diamondbacks, it was part of the reason they traded him because he's, right. he's just a weird dude, right?
1: Right. Yeah. So, I mean, he's real big into weight of balls and very out of the box thinking, baseball pitching, training techniques. And so. You know, Garrett Cole was questioning that. Um, and, you know, so it's just crazy that going into this game, like you had all those storylines. And then I think the game went like 14 innings, but uh, I think Bauer struck out like 13. Cole had a good outing. Um, but I don't know. I was really intrigued by that storyline. Yeah. Um, And uh, so I don't know if you guys talked about that game or not, but
0: we we didn't touch on that, um, but we probably should have. But I guess my I got a couple of takeaways about it. So first of all, you know i I obviously I don't know Trevor Bauer. I've never talked to him. I've you know we've uh, he's never been on the informal pod. the uh, The invitation is open. To Trevor Bauer you can come on if you want to and tell us your side of the story on this but he just seems like a kind of like a prickly guy like a guy who's you know kind of starting stuff here and there you know the story came out about how him and Cole didn't really get along you kind of touched on that he's poking at these guys you know that go to Houston their stuff gets better I don't know it seems like most of this stuff starts with Trevor Bauer Now, like I said I don't have any inside information on that from the outside looking in that's kind of what it feels like to me Secondly, though, I want to get your take on this, is he's accusing these guys of using a foreign substance, you know, pine tar or whatever, rosin with the sunscreen. It was a big deal a few years ago. I think Michael Pineda got busted a couple of times. Uh, it seems to me, watching baseball, that just about every pitcher in the big leagues is using something, right? You see these guys, They're they're rubbing the back of their wrist, they're rubbing their neck, they're rubbing the back of their hat just about everybody is using something to get a little bit better of a grip. And I thought we were at the point as baseball fans where, I mean, we're kind of cool with it, right? I mean, some hitters have come out and said, yeah, I know that most guys use this kind of stuff and I'm fine with it because if you're, you know, you're like Jordan Hicks out here throwing 105 miles an hour, I want you to be able to control where it's going. So, I mean, is that, is this, I thought we were past this issue, you know, two or three years ago. Is this still a thing that we're worried about guys using, you know, a little something to get a little bit better grip on the ball?
1: apparently i mean i it's not like a huge deal where i am um and i can only speak on on my experience i like when i pitch my hands to be really dry and smooth um just because even if i've got you know they they give us a rosin bag back behind the mound and i don't even use that because it does provide some tackiness and some stickiness but i don't want it to you know affect my change up to where i just throw it straight into the ground um But at the same time, I've thrown with big league balls before, and big league balls are very, very slick. Um, Even compared to the minor league balls, I I think have a really good feel to them. Depends. I mean, there's also always a variable of how they're rubbed up, but the big league balls are really, really slick. And like you said, I mean, you've got guys throwing 105 miles an hour. I mean, hitters get to use batting gloves and – uh, pine tar, pine, pine tar. Um, you know, just to hold on to the bad. And, um, you know, so I, I think what they need to do is, you know, come out and say, like, hey, let's just allow it um, or let's just not. And right now it's not, so you can't. Um, but, you know, if it's like, is it going to make that much? It, are, are players using it for an increase in performance or are they using it for just to control the ball because it's so slick,
0: right? It, I don't know. Is, I
1: think that's that's a question for for you know, you know guys that are using it. I, I don't know that, but um, you know, from people talking um, that I've heard through the through the media and stuff, it it sounds like it's just used more for control. But but who right. you knows? It's,
0: it's one of the most frustrating things about baseball to me. Is it's kind of the unwritten rule culture that baseball has of. Yes, it's illegal to use this stuff, but we kind of know that most guys are using it, so I won't turn your guys in as long as you don't turn my guys in, you know, unless it's across a certain point. You know, I mentioned Pineda earlier when he, like, had gobs of pine tar, you know, obviously on his neck, and everybody could see it on the TV cameras. Well, then it's like, okay, well, I can't let that go. But then meanwhile, I think it was the Red Sox that turned him in. Like, the Red Sox guy, he's probably using something too. So are we going to like start frisking every pitcher on their way to the mound? I think what they should do is they should legalize certain substances and just say this is what you guys can use. Like you can use, you know, whatever it is, a certain type of rosin, a certain type of spray tack, or something. You can use this, you know, in a specific amount at certain times, and we'll regulate it. That way we know what's going on, and it's not up to the opposing manager. I remember when Freddy Gonzalez was the manager of the Braves, and you know he, I think we were we were playing the Brewers, and he went out and he just went to the home plate umpires like I want you to check that guy for Pintar and I don't think it was Will Myers, the lefty, and he went out and of course he had something on his arm and he gets ejected from the game, and I think the manager got ran too. So it's like why is that up to the opposing team's manager to call something like that? It should be on the umpires, and I think it'd just be easier if everybody was upfront about it and said this is what you can use. And go from there, you know, and not leave it up to this unwritten rule, kind of nebulous who are we going to, you know, who are we going to check, who are we going to turn in? Um, I think it would just be easier for everybody. And we can move past it.
1: Yeah. I agree. And, you know, talking about the refs, it's on the, it's on the ref, it's on the umpires to, you know, make that call. Um, well, to be honest, there are a lot of calls that the umpires, the refs, did not make that they probably should have in some of these basketball games so let's go ahead and get on over to there because you know i've, I've got some, some some strong feelings about some of these games
0: i imagine you do and at, at the end of the podcast that lewis and i did what full disclosure is earlier tonight but it would have posted yesterday um we talked a little bit about basketball we mostly focused on the Cavs and warriors part four the upcoming series right and we kind of decided that we're really not all that excited about the upcoming series because we've seen it three times already. We kind of feel like we know what's going to happen. But what I'd like to talk about with you is the two Game 7s specifically that we just saw and the Conference Finals because we got two seven-game series in the Conference Finals, but we didn't really get that many good games out of it. What were your biggest takeaways from these two seven-game series in the Conference Finals?
1: To be honest, I... I really enjoyed it. Um, I think that if you would ask me before the series what was going to happen, I'd say both of them would go seven games. And, um, you know, it, it surprised me that Boston and, and Cleveland traded shots on their home floor until game seven. But you knew LeBron wasn't going to lose that. And there were some blowouts there and in the Golden State-Houston series. But... When the games were tight, it was some of the best basketball I've ever seen, especially looking at the Golden State-Houston Game 7. I mean, you get, you know, between probably, gosh, I don't know, halfway through the first quarter to halfway through the fourth quarter. Yeah, the Rockets missed uh, 20-whatever-seven three-pointers before they finally made one. But just, like, the hustle and the all-out effort that those guys were given on the court, like, that's why I like college basketball, right? Because everything's on the line. Everybody's going at it. And a lot of times in the NBA, it's sort of like, "Eh, I'm going to probably give 75% effort here because I don't want to get hurt. We play 82 of these games. But it's one game for all the marbles. So let's just go at it, dive all over the place so you get to see the best athletes, possibly the best team ever assembled just – not only have all their skills on display, but their heart too. Um, I'm, I'm not a, a basketball fan in the regular season, but when it gets to this point, I love turning on the TV and watching
0: basketball. If you would have asked me at the beginning of the season who's going to be in the finals, I would have said Cavs, Warriors. If you would asked me at the All-Star break, I would have said Cavs, Warriors. If you would asked me at the beginning of the playoffs, I would have said Cavs, Warriors. And that's where we are. But the way we got here was completely unexpected. I mean, the Warriors last year in the playoffs, I think they went – I think they lost three games the entire, you know, four series. And even the first two series this year, I think they lost – dropped one to the Pelicans and, you know, I don't – who they play in the second round? I don't remember. Was it the Jazz? I, I think the Jazz played the Rockets. I think they lost two games coming into the Rockets series this year. But the Rockets took it to them. The Rockets really... the Spurs, right? Really, yeah, as the Spurs. I think they swept the Spurs. It, Regardless, they had not been challenged at all in the first six series since they've had Kevin Durant on their team. But the Rockets took it to them. The Rockets really outplayed them for the majority of that series. And you could tell, especially in the first half of Game 6 and even more so in the first half of Game 7, it just... It felt like the Rockets wanted it more, you know. And I don't really like that kind of analysis because I don't think it's true. I think that you know, ninety-nine percent of the time, both teams are giving it a hundred percent effort. But it not not in the first half last night. I mean, Kevin Durant, he he was getting boxed out by guys that are six inches shorter than him. He was getting blown by by guys who have no business, you know, being able to get around him. He was missing wide open shots. It just looked like especially Durant, but I mean, the other guys too, Steph, Draymond, it looked like that they thought they would just walk out there and take game seven because they're the Warriors. And the Rockets took it to them. You know, they put it on them for two full quarters, and it was a lot of fun to watch. But at the same time, even being down 10 or 12 or whatever it was at halftime, I don't know about you, but I had no doubt that the Warriors were going to win that game. And they came out in the third quarter, and they were like a different team. You know, and yeah, the Rockets missed all those threes, but – At the same time, if you give the Warriors just a little bit of daylight like that, they're going to blow right past you, and that's what happened. And I think when they're playing at their best, they're still far and away the best team, not only in the league now, but the best team this league has seen in a long time, maybe ever.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I think definitely ever. Um, You know, it's crazy. A lot of things go into a championship team, or the difference between – a team losing a game seven and a game winning this game seven. You know, you've got, this is the seventh game in a row that these players have played against each other. And these matchups have happened. So you've got who's made an adjustment, who hasn't made an adjustment. You've got skill, you've got sides, you've got speed, you've got who has the heart. You've got who has a better coach. You've got who gets lucky. Right. And
0: speaking of lucky with chris paul getting hurt too that was a huge part of this you know yeah
1: i mean the rockets are up three two and then lose chris paul eric gordon so i didn't really know anything about eric gordon going to the series to be honest except for that he won the three point contest a couple years back but he really impressed me so
0: six man of the year last year
1: Yeah, I mean, I always thought he was just a shooter, but he got to the hole at will, and it wasn't like he was putting on any, like, shake-and-bake spin moves. I mean, he was just, like, pure determination to get to the rim and make a layup, and he just drove and shot it, and somehow they never blocked it, and it always went in. Um, But if you're the Rockets, their game is to shoot layups, and it's to shoot three-pointers because mid-range shots – I statistically, go in about as often as three pointers, and you get one and a half times the points for a three pointer. And to miss 27 straight, it's like I, I, one of the broadcasters was like, said something along the lines of, "It's This is the Rockets' game to hoist up these shots, but it looks like determination. But in reality, this is how they always play, but they're just down to their last breath and hoisting them up,
0: so it looks that way. And, and I think that's so true. Without a doubt. I mean, that's the way they played all year. That's the way they got to have the best record in the league, the number one seed in the West. They were one of the best offensive teams in, in the league all year playing that style. But I don't know if we can – sorry, I'm about to knock my mic off the table in a informal podcast tradition of me knocking the mic off the table. Um, <laughs>
1: it wouldn't be a pod. Darling. It wouldn't
0: be a pod if I didn't bump my mic. Uh, but I don't think we can – Overstate how big losing Chris Paul was at the end of Game Five, because he was the the one guy on that team that when the threes stopped falling, when the offense you know stagnated and they went cold from beyond the arc, he's the guy that could get you know take a guy off the dribble, get to that you know fifteen to eighteen foot range and knock those shots down. He's one of the greatest mid range shooters of all time. And it's not part of their offense, but it's part of Chris Paul's game. And he could have done that. And you'd know that if he was on the floor last night, you know, when they've missed, you know, 12 threes in a row, 15 threes in a row, 18 threes in a row, Dan Tony is going to call a timeout and say, guys, give it to Chris and get out of the way. Chris, go get us a bucket. And there was times in game four and game five when that was their offense, was Chris Paul putting him on his back and carrying him for long stretches. And James Harden is the MVP. He's going to win the MVP this year, deservedly so. He's the best player in the league this year probably. But he he couldn't do it by himself, you know. And he wasn't getting to the line in the second half like he usually does. The threes weren't dropping for him all series really. And without that second option, they really just didn't have enough gas to hold off the Warriors, even as well as they played in the, sec- in the first half. It's like you said Eric Gordon played out of his mind in the first half of that game, but he's not that guy and he couldn't sustain it, you know, when Clay starts going, Steph starts going and KD starts going, James Harden and Eric Gordon just aren't enough. They needed Chris Paul and it, you know, it's too bad for the Rockets fans really because I think if Chris Paul's healthy, they probably close the Warriors out, which is crazy to say. We never would have thought that going into the series, but you know, it, sometimes you got to get lucky and I think the Warriors got lucky.
1: You talk about Chris Paul. There are two points that I want to make on this NBA pod. The, this, the second one, I think, is going to make you the happiest. It's going to make your week. It's going to okay. make your week. The first one is that if you watched Game 7, Rockets Warriors, Chris Paul led some of those huddles in timeouts, especially in the second half. He was in there in the middle – talking up the guys, coaching them up, being a leader, right? I mean, he was in the thick of it. If you look at the other series, the Celtics Cavs, Game 7, Kyrie Irving wasn't even on the bench. He was not at the game. I don't know if he's in the locker, but he was not on the bench for Game 7 of the conference finals.
0: Well, I think I think they said he had some kind of some kind of medical procedure. I don't remember what it was. But they, I saw on Twitter, he was at the hospital for something. I don't know why they scheduled that during Game Seven, but yeah, yeah, it seems I it, fishy.
1: So, uh, yeah, I heard today on the radio. I don't know if it's true or not, but he had like his uh, septum, his nose septum, the sinus surgery, surgery. yeah, yeah that sinus was it. surgery. Um, why you would schedule that, it's he's Kyrie Irving. I'm sure he could be like, Hey, uh, like let's do this tomorrow. You know. Right. I mean
0: It's probably the it team just, doctors doing the surgery.
1: It doesn't it doesn't make sense how your best play I just don't know how that happens. Um, I, I don't know how it happens. Because I think if Kyrie Irving he's been in game sevens. So he's won he hit the game winning shot in the finals and in a game seven. How on he the cannot road be yeah, if he could not be a benefit to that young team, like I think they, they would have stood a lot better chance of having him doing what Chris Paul did to the Rockets.
0: I will agree and disagree. So, so, on the surface, I understand what you're saying. I hear your point. When it comes down to it, when it comes down to you know, the brass tacks of on-the-court play, I don't know that him being there would have given the Celtics any better chance of actually winning the game. I don't think they were winning that game no matter what. Their best player is 19 years old and going up against LeBron James, who's, I believe, the greatest player of all time. We can talk about that in a minute if you want to. But I don't think the Celtics were winning that game no matter what. I think the bigger issue with it is what it says to that team long term. I mean, you've got Jason Tatum, who I believe just turned 20, already your best player. He's going to be a superstar. you got Jalen Brown, who I think is 21 you know, Marcus Smart, who's not that old. All these young guys who are above and beyond anything anyone could have expected out of them this year when they've lost their best two players. You know, Kyrie's hurt. Gordon Hayward gets hurt five minutes into the season. Everybody wrote them off, and here they are one game away from the finals. And like I said, I don't think Kyrie being at the game would have helped them on Sunday night, but it says a lot about that team dynamic going into next year of – you know, what's Jason Tatum supposed to think? Like, Kyrie's supposed to be the team leader, right? He's supposed to be the best player on this team, and you're not here for the biggest game of our season. You know, it's a emotional thing. Like, it's a leadership thing of whose team really is this. Is, is Jason Tatum, is it just his team? Is he going to come into the season next year as a 20-year-old, you know, with three other all-stars on the team, and it's just his his team? Is Kyrie just ceding that to him now? Like, it doesn't make sense to me how that happens, why he's not there. And I wonder what it's going to do for the team chemistry, specifically going into next year, when, when Kyrie's back, when Hayward's healthy, how are they going to be able to mit, to mesh this thing back together? You know, because they were running so bare all year without those two superstars, and they still had so much success. What's it going to be like when those guys come back, especially when Kyrie, you know, literally wasn't there for him in the biggest game of the season?
1: If you think about it, them the Kyrie and Gordon Hayward being out for the last bit of the season and the playoffs may be the best thing to happen to the Celtics team. Because now you have a group of young guys that were allowed to pretty much grow up very, very quickly playing and Two rounds of playoffs plus the conference finals, going all the way to Game Seven, having very very big roles. You're thinking about Jason Tatum and Terry Rozier and Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown. Then you add them to already experienced, proven players like Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving. If you can mesh all the parts, which to be honest, I don't think Brad Stevens will have a problem with. Plus Al Horford, plus their deep bench. I mean. I think that's a team that possibly next year can contend with Golden State or whoever comes out of the West. I mean, I, I think that's a, that's a super team right there with those young guys and with those two superstars that are, are going to come back next year.
0: It's going um, to be a little bit of a sticky fit at the beginning, I think. I wouldn't be surprised if at the beginning of the season next year they struggle out of the gate, you know, the first 20 to 25 games maybe where they have trouble putting it together because, you know, the, the, it's like you said, they're two best players coming into this season. Hayward missed the entire year and Kyrie missed the stretch run. So it's going to be difficult for them to put it back together. But if anybody can do it, Brad Stevens can do it. And I think by, you know, by March of next year, by the time the playoffs get ready to start, I absolutely agree with you. That's going to be the best team in the East and they're going to be one of the few teams that has the firepower to hang with Golden State going into the playoffs next year.
1: Yes, and that brings me to my second point, is if they can beat LeBron next year because – I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I I think LeBron James is the best player of all time.
0: Thank you. I, Thank he's, you. He's,
1: I don't think he's the best scorer of all time. That nod may even go to Kevin Durant, to be honest with you. But he is the best. I mean, talk about putting the team on your back. Talking about just loading it up and, you know, I, I think it's BS. People are talking about how this is his greatest achievement, bringing this team. No, it's not his greatest. greatest achievement is winning the finals. But... I don't now, if he wins the finals against Golden State with this team, yeah, that would be the greatest achievement of his wins, career. If he wins,
0: if the Cavs beat the Warriors in this finals, it's not only the greatest achievement of LeBron's career; it's the greatest achievement in American sports history by any player ever. I mean, I don't know, you know, technically beating the the Celtics isn't his greatest achievement, right? He's won three titles. Beating the Warriors on that Kyrie shot a couple of years ago is probably more impressive. It definitely means more. They won a ring on that, on that series. But, I mean, that's pretty impressive to get this team to the finals. I mean, this, the second best player on the floor for the Cavs on Sunday night was Jeff Green. I mean, just think about that. Jeff Green. And he played 48 minutes in game six, 48 minutes in game seven, went into Boston, the loudest arena in the league, and made every play he needed to make. You know, and I just don't know what else you can ask of a of a basketball player. I was a small child when Michael Jordan was in his prime, right? I don't remember any of that, but there, I there's nothing that could impress me more than what LeBron did in those last two games of the Celtics series. It's unbelievable. Whenever he wanted to get a bucket, he could get a bucket. Whenever he wanted to make a defensive stop, he could make a defensive stop. I think what the most impressive thing to me is that he he's like a, a computer. Like he's got the mind of a computer when it, it comes to knowing how to pick his spots. There was that gif going around the internet of him completely taking that defensive possession off where like Jalen Brown came off a screen and LeBron just died on the screen. Didn't chase him. Jalen Brown hit an open three and everybody's like, oh, look, LeBron doesn't play defense. LeBron doesn't play defense. He had to play 48 minutes on Sunday. And he knows that if he runs hard off of every screen that he's going to be gassed with two minutes left in the fourth quarter. And he knows exactly how to conserve his energy. He knows when to pick his spots, and he knows how to have enough left at the end of the game to put the team on his back and carry him across the finish line. And I, just, I couldn't be more impressed with an individual effort.
1: Yeah. I mean, the the way he played is just flat out amazing. Uh, it's It's incredible what the man does over and over and over again. And unfortunately – if any other player did what he is doing right now, it would be everywhere. It's everywhere with LeBron, obviously, but it's normal, which kind of sucks. Um, but at the same time, it's it's really special that we get to watch somebody like this because I don't know if for the rest of my life if I'll be able to. Um, so tune in, boys and girls, pay attention. Right. Because LeBron is is the best the best player on the planet. So. Um, without a doubt, all right, without a doubt. Let, let, let's, uh, real quick, let's talk the finals. The best player in the world versus the best best player of all time. Versus the best team of all time, round what, three or four?
0: Um, round four. What do you got? It has been said, I said on the pod with Aaron Lewis last night, that if, if the Cavs win a game, they should get championship rings. Now, that's a little bit of a hyperbole. Um, I think that the Cavs will win at least one game because the Warriors have shown that they have the, they have the unique ability to lay a complete egg. Right? They could come out and look disengaged and miss all their shots and not play good on defense and get beat, especially when the other team, like you said, has the greatest player of all time. It's been decided by the informal podcast, LeBron's the greatest player of all time. Argument over. Um, and I think it would be silly to count him out at the same time, I would be shocked if they win more than one game. I think it's a five-game series. I think the Warriors take care of business.
1: Okay, so obviously I'm picking the Warriors, too. You'd be stupid not to at minus minus 1,000 or whatever they are. Um, but I say Warriors in six. I don't think it'll go seven. The Cavs aren't good enough for it to go seven. But the NBA has a peculiar way of extending games oh, and here extending it comes. series. Here it
0: comes. Layout. So I'm
1: not, I'm not, I'm not gonna delve too much into that. But I I think it goes six.
0: Let no delve into it. Lay out the conspiracy theory. I want to hear it. You've been hinting at this for a while. So go ahead and get it out there.
1: Listen, I don't know how anybody could rig basketball. I don't. <laughs> I have no idea how you could. I, I mean, those players are playing for everything. Those those guys are but it's just it's it's weird how things play out exactly how you think they're gonna play out and apparently they don't because people would just you know bet a lot of money and, and win a lot of money on everything um, but it some things just seem to go weird ways um, so with that being said and I, I don't know how they I don't even know how they would do it because if you I just think about it in baseball terms. I mean, there's no way. I don't think that could ever happen, so there's no way it could happen in basketball. Um, but I just think that it'll go six. I think it'll go six.
0: I, I could see it happening just purely based on LeBron's greatness. But if the Warriors show up, if the Warriors play at 80% of their highest level, I don't see how the Cavs can beat them. It's going to take, take the Warriors – playing their C-minus game and LeBron going superhuman. Um, which could happen. I think it'll happen at least once. You say it'll happen twice. I could buy that. But, I mean, I would be shocked if it went any more than that. So you could see it going 6-2. I could see it. I wouldn't... I would be surprised. I would be... I think I said I would be shocked if it went 6 about five minutes ago. I don't remember what I said. It's getting late. But... <laughs> I, so, I, hey, I,
1: I know that the last time that a team was favored by this much, they lost the finals. I do know that. When was I that? Believe, I believe it was the 4 finals with the Pistons and the Lakers, maybe.
0: Yeah, yeah, the Carl Malone team when the Lakers had Carl Malone. That's right. Is,
1: they had them in 4
0: Yeah. They play, the Pistons beat the Spurs, I think, in the finals that year. But the 0-4 Lakers team, yeah, because that was like the first super team when they – went and got Carl Malone and Gary Payton and all those old washed-up guys to pair with Kobe and Shaq, and it all completely fell apart in the playoffs.
1: I saw where that Pistons team, the, the one with, you know, um, Rashid and Rip, Prince and Rip Hamilton. Rip Hamilton and Ben Wallace, only had a lot of over 100 points one game, and that was when it went triple overtime in the entire playoffs.
0: That was how oh, well,
1: the game has changed.
0: Well, that—that's probably that '04 prob- Pistons team is probably the most improbable, probably the most improbable champion, maybe in American sports history. Certainly in the NBA, um, and it's an outlier. I mean, could it happen? I think the Cavs have a better chance of winning this series than the Pistons did of winning that one, just based on having LeBron James. But at the same time, I would be utterly shocked if they really, really gave it you know it really gave the warriors a series i'd be really surprised
1: so put it on the board informal podcast has warriors in 5 or warriors in 6 i say i you know what dude i think they're going to win in 6
0: you say 6 i'm saying 5 all right we'll see that's it it's on the board we
1: will see all right you got anything else
0: that's it man i appreciate you hopping back on this has been great it feels it feels right Doing a pod with the two of us feels you right. Know, I'm
1: gonna sleep. I'm gonna sleep a lot better tonight when I get into my bed, knowing that we did this. It's great. Um, it's just it's always a blast, and you know we're still waiting for for me Undies to come on board and, and sponsor this whole thing and set us up in mansions and the feelers and are out recording.
0: there, man. I've I yeah we've put. I don't know what else we could do. It's I not a lot. Not a lot else we can do. We're just waiting. I mean, the ball's in their court. You know. You know we they
1: we know they want to pull the you know. To, to do it and they want to reach out to us so just do it you know quit, quit playing hardball and um, you know go ahead, go ahead and send us you know whatever you got me you know what we're we need? waiting for you we need everybody yeah,
0: everybody that's listening to this podcast right now needs to hit us with a like and a comment on iTunes five star rating share it with your friends tell everybody you know and then maybe Undies will hop on board
1: I hope so yeah like Sam said like us on i like us on like us on iTunes. Can you like on or, iTunes? I don't know.
0: I don't know. I don't no. I have no idea. Not. Whatever. Share it,
1: maybe share us follow us on iTunes. I, share it with your friends. I don't know. But do do like our tweets and follow us on Twitter. That's it. That's what I was at looking for. Informal, US. Sam is at Lewis underscore zero six on Twitter. I am at Osterkoli. As always, please tweet at us or email us at informalpublication at gmail.com until next time peace